All right, here we go. Parshat Tetzaveh. Parshat Tetzaveh, there's like a few things you can talk about Parshat Tetzaveh, but um, the real focus of the Parshat Tetzaveh is the Big Day Kahuna, is the Kologna Kohen Gadol, uh, which is like a very interesting uh, conversation. If you look at it, what we're going to talk about, we're going to introduce some of the problems with it, or the issues, concerns about it, uh, with the Pishram of Isaacs in a second. But let's just take a look at the Pesukim like we always do, and let's see, like always... See where it takes us. So says the Torah's false. Viata, hakrevi alaches Aaron achicha vespanavito. Who's viata? Who's you? Viata. Moshe. Hashem's talking Moshe, right? Yeah. The, the, the Torah start the part. The part begins viata titzaveh. You should command. Very unusual. How does the Torah usually? How does Hashem usually begin a command to Moshe? Vayamar Hashem Amar Hashem. Vayamar Hashem Right? Why not in this week's parsha? Who's going to ask a question? Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just a continuation of a conversation. So that might be the simple answer. It's just a continuation of the previous conversation. But many of the Mepharshim explain, notice that if you actually go through the entire Parsha Tetzava, it's the only Parsha from the beginning of Parsha Shmos until the end of Vizos HaBracha that doesn't have Moshe's name. Hmm. So, the, that's par- partly, today. not our main focus today, but we are going to come back to that a little bit. Um, one of the reasons given, the Medrash says that when Moshe Benu next week's parsha, when he goes up to Har Sinai to daven on behalf of Am Yisrael, so Hashem says, "I'm destroying these people." And Hashem, Moshe says, "If you do, If you do so, then erase me from your book. You want to get rid of them? Get rid of me." And so, so the Chazal say, even though Hashem didn't do it, a tzaddik says something. It has to come through true to a certain extent. So Hashem doesn't erase him from the entire Torah, but he erases his name from one Parsha. Why that Parsha should be this Parsha is an interesting question. Maybe we'll talk about that as we move along. But that's one of the re- explanations via Torah rather than by the Hashem on Moshe anymore. Fine. Um, but the bottom line, he says to take Aaron Achichem Esbanavi Tomi Toch Bnei Yisolachanum. Will you take them to become Kohanim? Aaron Nadav Yavihu Elazar Vitamar Bnei Aaron. And what should you do for them, Moshe? Viasisa big day kodesh laron achicha lechavol sifaris. I didn't bring the translations here today. I don't know why I, didn't, I forgot. Um, and you should make big day kodesh. What a big day kodesh? Holy clothes. Holy clothes. Right. Holy clothing. For Aaron, your son, Aaron, your brother, lechavod ula sifaris. Lechavod. For honor. For honor. And beauty, glory. splendor, glory. Yeah, you should make him beautiful clothing. Right? Really beautiful, honorable clothing for Aaron Akoin. Right? And then he tells him, Speak to the, to the people who are going to do all this. Who The people who are real artisans. They know how to do this. Same thing. And you should make these special begadim. And not for Aaron and his sons. This is just for Aaron. This is just for the Kohen Right? And it goes through all of the, diff- the eight different begadim, which are going to make specifically for the Kohen Gadol, Choshen, Eifod, Me'il, Ketonus, Tashpeh, etc., etc., etc. All the different pieces. The regular Kohanim wear four, right? Four garments. The Kohen Gadol wears eight. Fine. Um, and they're very beautiful, and they're made out of gold, and they're made out of stones, and you know, very, very elaborate, um, very special, made out of techeles, v'agaman, very like ma- you know, magisterial clothing, specifically for Aaron. And he spends 43 psukim describing the details, the intricate details of each one of the big day kahuna. 
and ends He didn't wear them all the time. He would wear them when they would come in to do the avodah. And they shouldn't come to do an avera and die. The implication being, if they don't wear the clothing that they're supposed to wear, Someone, a coin who doesn't wear the proper clothing when doing the avod in the Beis HaMikdash or in the Mishkan is Chayv Misa. Okay? Taking it relatively seriously, this issue of the clothing. So 43 Psukim explaining Aaron's special clothing. The halacha is that if a person, a coin would do the avod in the Beis HaMikdash without the special clothing, they will die. 43 psukim put to death. Put to death. Yeah. And the 40 and 43 psukim describing the intricate details of these clothing. When they did, when the Kohen Gadol after Hanukkah, did they have, but they didn't, I thought they didn't have, I thought everything was like looted. After, in the second base of Mikdash already, yeah. there were a number of things that were missing from the base of Mikdash, including the Aron wasn't there. I mean, one of the things was the Urim Vatumim. Mm-hmm. Right, whatever the Urim Tumim is exactly, was the piece of paper inside the ephod, was it the Hoshan itself, but they were missing the Urim Tumim. But, but otherwise, the Kohen Gadda did still wear all of the big day even that. then, yes. Um. So um, but yeah, there were certain things that were missing from the, from the sec- in the second base of Mikdash. But that's why it's like the, 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 the Navi tells a story in Ezra when they came back to the second base of Mikdash, everyone was like cheering and happy, and the older people who had seen the first base of Mikdash were crying. You know, it's like, Nebuch, like this, you think this is a base of Mikdash? This is like. You know, um, but yes, so they still had that there were people Yeah, mm-hmm. it's only seventy years. Right. Um, Could have been too many people. Back then. Right. <laughs> True. Could have been to hundred. But but what do these? What does this make you think? I don't know. Reading this book, what do you? What I do mean, you think? The first thing. <clears throat> to me, it's strange that Hashem is assigning this responsibility to Moshe. Okay. Why? Because this is all about. Aaron and the legacy of the Kohanim and the big day Kohanim literally why is it Moshe's responsibility okay. to like do all this it's not his not his place his yeah his area is it even like a little bit of a zex like you're not the Kohanim uh, there's a little insensitivity there maybe really? that Moshe Rabbeinu loses the ability to be the Kohen Gadol that's like there's like the whole discussion then because Moshe Rabbeinu refused yeah, like, think about it, to go Hashem says fine Aaron will come and he becomes the Kohen Gadol because of that can you imagine saying to one child Okay, you gotta go pick out all the presents for your brother over there. I mean, I understand okay. these are grown people and he's much earlier. Right. But, yeah, but Aaron was still hard. His helper, still like, through everything. Right. Michelle, like, Aaron stood, the older <coughs> brother stood by his side for, like, Every nascent Mitzrayim, Matan Torah, I mean, everything. So it now like it's in, Moshe's turn to like okay. support but him. Big his... picture question is: It seems like an, a, a, a unique focus on Gashmias so that we have not seen in the Torah until now. Yeah, yeah. and a bizarre focus yeah. on Gashmias. Yeah. Very, very elaborate focus on. I mean, think about other things that happen in the span of forty-three out, so Outward appearance, yeah, and to be Chayamita, right? In in the Chayamita whole... for not wearing the right, right. you know, it's. It's weird. And who is this for? Is it for Hashem? For, like, or is right. it for, like Hashem or for us? Because then for us, I feel like that's the lesson. Like, we should be so hyper-focused on things. Externals, things, but fancy stuff, Hashem, fancy Hashem, things. Like the Mishkan, crazy detail. But, but the Mishkan was also very detailed. Correct, exactly. that's what I'm saying. Right. Like, how to... Where it all started. And so, like, where is this? 
Hashem gives very specific directions. He doesn't leave it open. All right, what's the lesson here? What's the, what's the messaging here? The messaging seems a little bit off from what we're used to. So by sex. Not for certain But what we think is not a value, typically, right? It's not a value that we typically... I think there are a lot of people who would argue with that, though. Uh... I don't know. No, I don't, it's not, it's not, I don't know. Right. People would still argue like, you know. No, I'm saying it's not, to what degree? I think there are some big rebbeim and talmidei chachamim who believe in hitter mitzvah on a, on a that's true, and that, that, no, that's that's still correct. That, that you know, hitter mitzvah, but there's a difference between hitter mitzvah and like you know, whatever. Well, let's see, let's see. Look, look at Rabbi Sachs. Look at Rabbi Sachs. Um, and Rabbi Sachs. No, I don't. No, I don't. Oh, sorry. No, no, I don't. I mean, I'm just thinking about like this. Never. Yes. I never thought of it at all. So I'm sitting here thinking, why didn't I? Why don't I think it's strange at all? Like, and so I don't, why, I don't why, have any why, feeling why about Why do you think this it's strange? Why, why do you think okay, it's strange? they just came out of Egypt, right? Okay. And they've seen Egypt worship. They have seen it. Some mm-hmm. of them may have done it. Who knows? And we like, know they do. Right. They did. They and did do it. There, there's a certain amount of importance and weight given to the mitzvot and the commandments if you have to look a certain way and you have to dress a certain way and your temple has a certain amount of refinement and distinction and all these elements that like I think if they didn't have it people might have felt a little bit lost like you know you just pitch a tent and stand there and wait for God to talk I think you maybe you need you need the the temple model But the question is, like, if you look at, like, modern biblical scholarship and people who are not believers who don't believe that this was written by God and given to Moshe, that's what they'd say. And that's what bothers me about it. They say, like, so much of what we do in our practices because there was some pagan religion that did this. So we took that to make the religion palatable to our people. I don't... That's not what we're supposed to believe. Am I wrong? Are we supposed to... You know that idea? No, that, I think that's true. That's like I a real that's exactly idea of biblical scholarship. I learned like, that that's exactly Where did what that happened. come from? Where did that come from? Where did, you know, that's why, because it, it, we're supposed to believe the Torah was a product of its times in other religions? We pray what? to the moon. Where do you think that comes from? Like, that's crazy. Hey, we're supposed Pagan. to think it comes from God. <laughs> <laughs> we're not supposed Thank to think you. it comes from Xerxes or whatever. I don't well, know. But we saw that with the Adel Zaha. Well, they right. wanted so that's about they to happen. Exactly. Like what he thinks in Maidan, we need that. So we're he's us. trying to and give us physical what representation he thinks, exactly. in order what to feel the weight exactly. and the power. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The truth and the rightness. So right? the answer so far is yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is a fine line. The answer so far is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a look at Rabbi Sachs. Look at Rabbi Sachs. In source number three. Number three. Okay? This is Rabbi Sachs. Sometimes, you know, sometimes there are pieces in Rabbi Sachs. I'm like, everybody knows. You want to like be able to summarize? You can't. So, well, I'm going to try. But let's just take a look at the question first. See, here's just how he asks the question. Okay? Um, and always he quotes things that I don't know what they are, but, but he just compares them to each other. You know, I heard of Odysseus and Homer. I read it, I think, in eighth grade. But he talks about the great difference between Homer and Torah is that Homer constantly describes appearances that Torah rarely does. Right? When you write a play in general, right? If you're writing a play, you're writing a, you're writing a novel, right? So you're going to describe the landscape, you'll describe the clothing, you'll describe what the background, what, you want to see what the atmosphere is, you want to, if you want to paint a picture, right? Even when you, we tell stories, right? I, when I teach in YU, when I talk to guys about, t- about the artist telling a story in a speech class. So we talk about how to paint the picture, right? What does it look like? What's the background? What's happening in the room? 
right? You want to do that. The Torah doesn't really do that. Homer is fascinated by the play of light on surfaces. The Torah is deeply disinterested in surfaces. Landscapes, portraits, physical descriptions, with few exceptions, only when it's necessary to understand what happens. The Torah does not tell us what its heroes and heroines looked like or what they wore. Every once in a while, Sarah was very beautiful. When does it tell you? When he's about to go to Mitzrayim, because it's going to become relevant, right? Every once in a while, right, that Yosef wore a special coat. Okay, well, what did everyone else wear? We don't know, right? Right, Esau was super hairy. Yeah, right. The, why? Because I need that for later in the story. Right. The biblical text isn't an Arabic phrase, fraught with background, meaning that the physical setting of its narratives is unspecified in the text, inviting us, the listeners, to supply it from our own imagination. By the way, that's what the Medrash often does. The Medrash often fills in those blanks. We don't know what things look like exactly. Right. If Homer is like television, the Torah is like radio. It focuses not on the image but the voice. It's just beauty. He doesn't write Beautiful. Oh, you're right. It's beautiful. It's, it does so for a deeply serious reason. There's a definitive moment in Shmuel Aleph when the prophet is commanded by Hashem to anoint a new king. Shaul has failed. He is too temperamental, insecure, and concerned with popularity. He fails to fulfill the divine command. And it should be noted that this is a classic case where the Bible does emphasize appearance, precisely to show that they are misleading. Shaul, when he first encountered him, is described as a young man in his prime. No one among the Israelites was as handsome, handsomer than he. He was a head taller than any of the people. He had physical stature, but not moral stature. That's the message the text seeks to convey. It describes his physicality on purpose to just juxtapose it with who he was. Shmuel is told to go to the home of Yishai because one of his sons is the man chosen to be king. When he arrives and he saw Eliab, he thought, oh, this must be the Lord's anointed one. And the God says to Shmuel, pay no attention to his appearance or his stature, if I have rejected him. For not as man sees does the Lord see. Man sees only what is visible, but the Lord sees into his heart. Right? He's going after to find David, who's the little kid sitting in the, in the, in the, back, in the back room out in the field. Don't, I don't care what you look like. Right? Judaism, the religion of inwardness, not appearances, of ethics, is precisely... Pharaonic Egypt and Xerxes, Persia, that celebrate the visual trappings of official dress, who also issued the first degrees of genocide against the Jewish people. A culture that worships external symbols of power will in the end lack the inwardness and humanity to respect the dignity of the powerless. Um, at least, I, I think I skipped, um, but nor is this all. At least five episodes in the book of Genesis turn on the subject of clothes. There are Esau's big day chamudot, and Jacob puts on, on to take Yaakov's blo- Isaac, uh, Yitzhak's blessing. There's the Ketona Pasim, right? The coat of many colors of Yosef. There are clothes of a temple prostitute that Tamar puts on when she removes her widow garment to attract Yehuda. There is the begged cloak or robe that Yosef leaves in the hand of Potiphar's wife when he flees her attempt to seduce him. And there are, as mentioned above, the special robes and insignia of the office that Yosef wears as second in command to Paro. The point is that one fact links all these episodes. Garments are used to deceive. They come from the word Beged comes from the word bagad, which means to betray. Right? Clothing is deception. Clothing is lying. Clothing always in the Torah is something that is used to deceive. If that's true, ask Rabbi Sachs, what in the world are we doing spending 43 psukim focusing so heavily on the clothing of the Kohen God? Right? It doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit. So let's take a look at a few approaches to this issue. 
Number source number four is the Hemek Dover, that's the Nitziv. And I'm telling you, Yehuda Berlin was the Rosh Hashiva in the Velazhin Yeshiva in the mid 1800s. The student of Chaim Velazhiner. The Nitziv writes as follows The Chavod Olusifaris. What does it mean that it's for honor and for majesty? Basher Nidrash Ha'inyan Shehe Aaron Mikadesh Atzmo. The idea was that Aaron would be, make himself holy. Umisnaig Bachasidus Uberprishus. Yes, it looked bizarre. That, excuse me, that, that Aaron would wear this special fancy clothing. It was not like anyone else's clothing. It is not the clothing that anyone else is expected to wear. In fact, we don't want anyone else to dress this way. But by dressing in this way that is totally different and unique, what does it do? It sets him apart. It makes him look very different. It helps them know that he is in a different place than they are. It's not to, you know, to, to trick people, etc. But it's to show that he's different. What it would do is we create a certain sense of majesty and grandeur. You come to the base of Mikdash, you see a place that is gold and, and beautiful and unusually fancy. And you'd see a Kohen Gadol who was dressed in a way that was unusually fancy. And it would give you a certain awe and reverence of that place. And they would realize that Hashem has chosen him. Right? That's the language that's used by Mordechai. Right? This is a person that Hashem is going to literally be, he'll be the chariot of the, of, of the presence of Hashem. Not just Aaron, every Kohen Gadol. It's not true. The regular Kohanim clothing was simple cotton clothes, simple white, nothing fancy about them. They were just regular hats and regular clothing of Al Kohen Gadol. He was different than everybody else. What, what, what is this? What's going on here? What's he trying to explain? What is it? What's, what's his answer? He wants Ben Israel to see Aaron as the vessel in which the Shekhinah, you know, comes down to Ben Israel. And therefore, and they'll only respect it in that way if it's, you know, physically that much more grand than everything else. It creates a certain problem and circumstance. Right, it's like the it's like Lahavta, it's like the guards at Buckingham Palace. It's like the you know whatever you you know give your whatever example you want to give. Um, it's it's funny. It's almost it's hard to find examples today, um, because we so don't operate that way. I mean, if you remember when 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 Barack Obama was president, I don't know if you remember this. He started having meetings at the White House without a tie. Uh, I, I remember this because. I don't like wearing a tie. Um, and like, it was, there were people who attacked him, not like so intensely, but a little bit, that like, it's not presidential. Right? So I think that if you want to try to find buy, buy a tie today, you, it's much harder to find. They don't really sell ties anymore. A little bit. Like, people, like in general. Like, so most people don't wear them casual. as much. Like, so I, I have a very hard time finding ties. They don't exist. Not just casual Fridays. But, but I'm telling you, I think, I don't, I don't know, I, I, wonder, I, I should look it up. It started, it start, he did that. And I'm not right. saying it's good or bad. But he... he like a, li- with the hat. Right, exactly. It was a little more, a little less uh, formal. And it kind of like trickled down. They're like, oh, okay, the president, you know. And it became like a, a cool thing just to wear, you wear a suit. But, uh, but just a dress shirt, right? That's like another, like one example, right? Oh, it's like not presidential, it's not wear a tie. 
I don't know. It, it is or it isn't. But like the idea of the president stepping out and like you know playing clothes ever because he's going for a jog or he's going for whatever. You know, Clinton used to do that also. He's go jogging, right? So it was like a big deal, yeah. right? That he see the president in jogging clothes, right? So like, same thing. Sifaris, right? So there's the dignity of the office, you know, that that there was there's expectation, but that's really been diminished, I think, in, in our culture today. But that there's that sense, and that seems to be what the, the native is pointing to, is yeah, it is unusual. This is not a lesson for everybody else. This is a lesson in ha- how to create a certain dignified nature of the office of Kohen Gadol because it's there to be a representative of the Yvonne Shalom, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's different. That's why they're Becca's business today. Well, that's, by the way, if you know the, the Svarti, the Svarti, um, uh, Chachamim, right? Mm-hmm. The Svarti Gedolim, mm-hmm. right? Like Vadio Seif, right? And Chachamamar, they still just, they wear those like beautiful, Captain. like golden things with like Captain. hats and the thing. It, it comes from the, it comes from the same place. Kavod Torah. Wear top hats. What? I think Jewish actors wear top hats. Right, right. Certain, a certain, a certain Kavod Torah, Kavod whatever, you know, like, you know, when Svartim, are we also living? Um, but they, but like to this day, when Chacham Amar, when he came to he came to find you a few years ago, and the Sephardi guys who were in Yeshiva, they kissed his ring. And that's how they, right? So it's like so bizarre bad. to us. It's like right. so weird. But like they still have like that certain grandeur of the office of the chief rabbi. The offer, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, like at what point you get to be fitted for your golden thing. But like there's a certain chief rabbi. I don't know exactly what it is that you get to get that level, but. But that's the idea, right? That's the idea, which I think is a little foreign to us, but is not so foreign to the world. Um, and in fact, the Ramban writes in source number five, something, Dina, you're not going to like. <laughs> says the Ramban in source number five. L'chavol u'sifaris. She'yiyya nichbar u'mufuar b'mabushim nichbadim u'mufuarim. You should be wearing beautiful clothing. K'mo sh'amra kosov k'chasan yechahein pe'er. Pazik says that the chasan is like, give me like a coin with this beautiful you know, a crown, etc. They're the clothing of royalty. This was the type of clothing that the kings wore in the times of the Torah. And he goes on and on and on and on that each, each of one, by, by the way, the, one thing you can for sure tell, if you compare the language of the types of garments, the, the um, not the garments, but the materials that were used for the Beit Dei Kahuna and the materials that are described in the Megillah. Mm-hmm. Right? Techeles, Fa'agaman, Tolashani, those purples and reds and blues. That was not typical. Most people couldn't afford purple and red and blue and these colors. Right? It wasn't a, a normal person couldn't wear clothing like that. Um, and so, so Achashverosh and Esther and Vashti and then eventually Mordechai and Haman, right? they all wear the clothing like that. Right? But that was not something, that's when, when Mordechai Yatzah, at the end, he comes out, and he's wearing the special king's clothing. When Haman wants to, to have someone do something, give him special cover, he should wear the clothing that the king wears. It's the same type of clothing. Right? Now, this was seen as, as uh, you know, the type of clothing that people would respond to as being machistic. That it would be, you know, uh, seen as beautiful. Why did he choose to take, according to Ramban, why did Hashem choose to take things that they had seen in the rest of the world and use it in this way? What would you say? Because that's what B'nai Israel at the time appreciated and responded to. And how could it be? Isn't the Torah forever? Yes, but it's the same. 
I mean, it's not that different today why in the Shivish world people wear a black hat on Shabbos or to a wedding or a simcha, they want an extra yeah, <laughs> Or in a Gayasha world, you get dressed for a wedding or you get dressed for... Right. I mean, it's... it's no, but, but I'm saying you could also say that you could make the argument that even though... And the Rambam and the Ramban actually had this argument about on a much larger scale about Korbanos. About whether Korbanos were something Hashem wanted originally, or was it Hashem kind of giving in to what the people needed at the time? But either way, so, so, one king, them, right? so one of them attacks the other and says, so one of them attacks the other and says, how could you say, it's like, it's like heresy, that Hashem chose mitzvahs based on what was happening at that time. But the response is, it could be, you can make the argument that at that time, that was what they needed, and Hashem says, oh, it doesn't bother me. And, and that's going to lock in and be what we do forever. And it still becomes Devar Hashem. It's just that he, he uses it at that time and then it, and then it stays. It stays even when it's not what the rest of the world does. You right? The Kohen God. The kings, right? About kings and how we. It wasn't part of the Torah. And we, he said, where did you see in the Torah where the Bnei Israel demands something? Oh, yeah. But that right? king becomes something that Hashem says. Right. You really shouldn't want one. But if you want one, I'll let you have one. People yeah. at the time are right. kings and Bnei Israel. Well, that's like we also have like. You know, the Asian Sifas Toa, we have this story by, in Kitetse about like, what do you do if, if a guy wants to marry a, a woman that he, that he right. finds in battle? So, so Chazal say, Dibra Torah, Kenegad Yetzirah. Like, it's not something Hashem wants for us, but he recognizes the human being that he created and allows certain things, so right? Is that all this? Uh, I don't know, it's all this. This is the Ramban's approach. Ramban's approach true. is, you don't have to, it's okay, not everyone agrees with Ramban. But I'm saying, the Ramban would argue, it's okay. What Hashem did was say, let's take elements of the, of the, of the world outside of us and use it to great, create grandeur for me. So like, the world outside of us right now so that we look like wackadoos to people 400 years later. So well, Hashem doesn't have time. <laughs> right? So Hashem, Hashem exists beyond time. Right? So he, he knows when he sets it up in Bizman of the, of the Torah that we're going to be talking about this 2,000 years later, 4,000 years later, and that when the base of the comes back, we'll have the same big day kahuna, and it won't be, it will no longer stand. But the point is that the Torah sometimes works with society and sometimes it doesn't. And the fact that it stays the same way no matter what means it's Devar Hashem. Even if, yeah, at the time it worked well for, as, for the first people who needed that as they started. We have, we have other examples of times when Hashem, at, you know, in the, usually it's temporary things, right? But things that we had at the time in the Midbar, Hashem, we, we needed them because, you know, to get us. In. By the way, that's the same as the Ramban and Rashi about whether the Mishkan was a response to Chayte Egel. Or the right. Mishkan was meant to be all the time, right? And, and those who argue that it was, no, there was response to Chayat how could that? Okay, the answer is, again, how do you play that out? Well, Hashem didn't know, of course he knew. He knew what was going to happen, right? But it's a response in a sense that there's a lesson there in terms of our watching the Rebbe Shalom, see our needs, and being flexible. Maybe it's lessons for us in certain ways also. I see that as like justifying Strimals in Miami. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but, 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 by way, like, but by the way, just because Strimals in Miami aren't our Mahalach, uh, okay, so I don't wear a shamel, but someone does. Okay, and that's the way of like Kavit Shabbos. Okay, it's not, it's not my approach. You know, it's not right, my approach. I think this is how they justify it. But wh- yeah. I'm just saying, you're saying justify. Justify <laughs> what? It's cuckoo bird. But why is it cuckoo bird? Why is it cuckoo bird? How are you extrapolating that from that? I'm just saying, saying it's not this. When you see a guy, you're saying it by strangling. I see it the way she. When you see a guy at a hotel in New Jersey in June, getting married, getting married with a black overcoat on top of his but, but, his kittel, and I'm just like, we're taking these things that were relevant to a certain time in a certain place for a certain time in Europe, and we're making them to weddings who are outside. But I'm just telling you, conservative reform Jews will say the same thing to us. Correct. I'm upset all the way back to this. I'm upset when Torah. 
halacha is made on I'm the time. I'm trying to get out. You could do the hair covering. You could do the same thing. The Torah at the time, it was a woman to uncover her hair was a was a was a terrible embarrassment of thing that is not applicable today at all. Right, except that the difference is. But we still keep something from because it was applicable. Oh, years so, ago. so the point is, the, point is the fact that the Ramban says that this is the same thing that was happening with the Balchas then, what he's not saying is, when it's no, and therefore when it's no longer the same, we stop. He's not saying that. Yeah, we're just lucky you got in he at just, the time, right? It's like, <laughs> no, but he's lucky. He's just, like, he just, he's just today, describing. Michelle came tomorrow. The so are going to be okay with us dressing like But hold no, on, the Hasidim, but you have to pause with the Hasidim. The Hasidim are not arguing. Again, how, how, they, the how they see it, don't see it. No, no, no one, they may have a certain... I'm worried about their integration into your Rosh Hashanah. They may have a certain approach to that, but they're not going to argue. And this is a different child, a whole different question about the Hasidic world and how they understand the rice that they're abundant on minhag, min et cetera, and that, that they don't ha- talk that way, the way we do always, right, and that can right. cause challenges. But they're not going to tell you to mitzvah say the rice to wear a strimal, and because the, because the Kohen Gadol did. It's not. It's not. It's there. It's the minhag, and it's the minhag amakom, it's what they do. That's fine. And, and by the way, the fact that sociologically, once they take the strimal off, they might as well eat treif, mm-hmm. and that's which is what happens in that world sometimes. I'm not trying to speak for it because I don't live it, but that's what I understand. That's a different sociological you know, phenomenon, but it's not a halachic phenomenon. So like it's it's not it, the, the way they t- teach etc may be different than us. But my point is that I don't I don't need to explain why they're wrong. I don't like I, like they they have their way and we have our way. And there are lots of things to say about me that they think I that I do wrong. Why they don't just like and this? that because it's for the coin Godal. I'm just being serious about it for a second. I am. I've actually you know I've been listening up a lot about these kinds of things lately. And the thing is like. What we don't understand is that we're not supposed to blend. We're, we were never created right. to be like everyone else. We're supposed to stand apart. We're supposed to actually keep to ourselves and not yeah. blend into American culture or any other culture. We're supposed to be Jewish. We have our own culture. And so if this is how we dress, this is how we dress. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing, and it's irrelevant. Like, we need to be separate that's what we were yeah, but I'm saying back then they made us try to blend because they're giving us things that was appropriated from right. the culture so at the time this is blending well I think I think what we're seeing so Jenny we're arguing we're arguing hold on slow but we're not talking about the dress of every single person we're talking about the dress of the but nevertheless what, what I think what we're what we're seeing is is a balance between again you can argue with the Ramban people can argue with the Ramban it's not true Right, you, you would take the approach to the Rambam and say, "Like, can you make that's ridiculous? There's no such thing. You can't steal from the non-Jews." But, but what I would say is, what we do do, right, is that we, we sometimes take things that we see in the non-Jews world and we apply them to our, we borrow them to our society when they're helpful for us. Right, there are certain things. The, the secular world is not bad for everything. Right, there are lots of things in the secular world that are wonderful, and we can take those things and apply them to to, to Yiddishkeit in a way that they're helpful. Right. The Ramban's arguing that the Rebbe Hashem did that. Hashem, Hashem that. does it, but he does it in a way, again, that is above time and forever. It's right. complicated. But that's, that's, just, that's just the Ramban. I want yeah, let, to say... Let, I'm, I know you want to. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's but fine. to say, if, if it's not Scary, followed huh? exactly... Chayamisa. Chayamita. Right. That's more than just saying we're borrowing right. it for, like, right. people to... And I, I mean, that's I putting a level of... I don't Severity. think this was like lifted directly from from Egyptian temple priests. I think the materials may have been because this is what look different. Know, the linens and the fine cloths and the and the golds and the the stones. But like we have all these pieces that are have specific worship function. 
and maybe so and like maybe that's... and maybe that's the point. Maybe the reason why ours have to be made a very specific way, which is not the same way it looked in the other with other nations. I mean, it's similar in terms of the grandeur, the royalty, yeah. the colors, the right, but the specific like right. the so specifics are our specifics. So it, has the same, right? it has the same mental power. It's just so human. It has people, the same power. What? But it's, it's, it's adopted so, like, to human. our. It is. It is so human. Yeah. Yeah. Why? But Why is that, it so human? Because we're so human. Because we're human. Yeah. So there's there's this balance within the same conversation yeah. of the chavro sifares and what human beings need and what human beings need. Take a look at the sefer chinuch. Look at source number seven. Skip the Rambam for now. Take a look at the sefer chinuch. Sefer chinuch writes like this. So I have to get you to Rabbi Sachs at the end. You think it's so cool, but we, we can't have to summarize it fast. Sefer chinuch says like this. Shinitstavu akohanim lilbosh begadim. It says Aleph. Yuchadim legedula vekavod vaaz yavdi vemikdash. They wear special clothing. Mishar Shemitz, the Sefer Chinuch, always expl- he gives the laws and he explains the, what he believes is the background. What's the thought behind? Not because if his thought is wrong, we wouldn't do it. But what, what does he think? What, what does he think is the, is the rationale? Right? Whenever, whenever, the, whenever the Rishonim give a, a rationale for a mitzvah, it's important to remember. It's not that, therefore, if we don't have the rationale, we don't keep the mitzvah. It's just trying to give some idea. They might be wrong, right? It's because Hashem said so. They're trying to give some explanation. This is a concept of the Sefer Chinuch that he writes in many, many places in the Sefer called that our actions, when we act in a certain way, it impacts how we are on the inside. Not I should first work on myself on the inside and then I will act that way because that's how I feel, but rather the opposite. Sometimes when I do certain things externally, what, what's the Sefer Chinuch bothered by? What's all the externals? What's all the superficiality? And the answer is, well, when I do things in a certain way, it ends up having an impact on me internally. And what does that mean? Vashliach, this messenger, Hamechaper, who's going to be get kapar for all of Am Yisrael. Tzorech laharpis kol machshavto v'kavanos alavod. He has to be focused entirely on his job. Alkain royal did labish begadim yuchadim elei. He has to wear special clothing. He looks at any place on his body. Every moment when he looks down, he's going to recognize, well, I am not like everybody else. I am different. I have a different role here. Men have to wear tefillin. Men now wear tefillin for half an hour a day. But it used to be women wear tefillin all day. Right? It helps a person focus on what they need to do. Right? The coin also works filling. It doesn't matter. He had something new to do. And he says, He has to wear it. He went to his, to his wrists and to his ankles. Right? It covered his entire body. Literally. Um, right? just, just above his ankle. All the way to his wrists. Right, he, the hat, he literally covered his almost his entire body in the in the Bidei Kahuna. Why? So look where it's underlined. He feels the clothing on him at all moments. There's a recognition of Yisrael. Like, like, like a judge. Right? Like, like certain people have a certain responsibility and they recognize who they are because they, they dress the part. Have a well, certain responsibility. 
concerned. What? You were wearing a swimsuit right. Monday afternoon. Right. Unlike, right. You know, I actually, st- I actually, I actually, uh, over my time in this, in my role, I struggle with this a lot, actually. Like, how much? How often do I have to wear? No, 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 right. I don't like to wear like, dress like this all the time. Right. But there's a certain, there's a certain reminder to oneself. When one, this is not, right, this is a different approach. Then McDuffer's saying, if everyone else comes to Beis Midosh, right. they should feel, wow, this is, he, right. walking around, should feel, ooh, this is like the heavy. Weight of it, huh? Literally the weight <laughs> of his clothing should have an impact on him and make him say to himself, you know what, certain responsibility I have here, right? And that even though it looks unusual, it's supposed to look unusual because it gives him a reminder of who he's supposed to be. Sorry to ask, but are you tying in Rabbi Sachs's thing with all? Oh, okay. I was just like, here we go. Okay. Here it comes. Curious. Well, here it comes. Time. Okay, so look at Rabbi Sachs. Thank you. It's a totally different approach to this. Okay. Totally different. Okay, you could go in a hundred directions to this topic, right? But look, what Rabbi Sachs says. So, I found this fascinating. And I only pulled part of it. I would encourage you, if you have the book, to read the whole article. But if you want, I'll, I'll WhatsApp with you if you want to see the whole article. It's, it's fascinating. He writes as follows: If you're to understand Judaism. We must never forget that it represents a specific moment in as well as an eternal truth about the history of mankind. Neither Moses nor even Abraham are primeval, primeval figures, as they would be if the Torah were a myth. They are latecomers. The great symbol of ancient civilization, the Tower of Babel, precedes the call of God to Abraham. Judaism does not represent the birth of civilization. It represents a critique of civilization. Okay, it's not the first thing. It precisely when human beings discover technology, build cities, construct advanced methods of warfare, and erect self-serving monuments that the human potential for evil becomes seriously destructive. Empires elevate rulers by degrading the masses of mankind. He has a, there's a lot of conversation with the big dog Bavel. How the, the Rabbi Hirsch has a whole long piece on this on how they would, how they was all about you know uh, making making the individual subservient to the group, right? One of the most visible symbols of empire is the robe of office. The exalt, they exalt the few at the cost of the many. They represent a thoroughly hierarchical society of a kind of which, to which Judaism is essentially opposed. The English language lacks a word like the Hebrew beged, which links garments to betrayal, but it has another one that covers roughly the same territory, namely sophisticated. On the one hand, it has a positive connotation. It means refined, cultured. On the other hand, it has an ancient and disreputable history deriving from the pre-Socratic philosophers who used to teach for money and were known and criticized for their persuasive but fallacious arguments. The sophisticated also means to spoil, adulterate, corrupt, pervert, mislead. Civilizations always run the risk of substituting seems for is. Those who dress like kings may have the hearts of slaves, fearful, resentful, and vindictive toward the right side. Those who wear the robes of holy people may be corrupt. That is why Jewish sensibility is on the whole skeptical of official uniforms. God sees and teaches us to see the inward person, what Hamlet called that within which passeth show. Okay. Why then, given this focus away from clothes and superficial appearance, did God command Moshe to set in motion the making of special garments? The answer lies in analysis given by the 19th century sociologist Max Weber. Or Weber. Weber was fascinated by the question of leadership. What is it that gives some individuals authority over others? His most famous insight has become part of the language of everyday speech is that certain rare figures have what is called Charisma. Charismatic leaders, by force of their personality, are able to exercise influence over others. They speak to their fears, their concerns, their hopes, and their dreams. Charisma is not all good. Charisma can be very dangerous, right? Okay? 
to go 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 to the next paragraph. But charisma begins to die almost as soon as it is born. Charismatic authority is strictly personal. It's unique to the individual who wields it and can never be replicated over time. Indeed, it is essential to the survival of the group that it is not replicated over time. A charismatic leader is an agent of change, but a group, in order to survive, needs a form of leadership that is resistant to change, that is instead a vehicle of continuity, tradition, and stability. We weren't going to have a Moshe Rabbeinu for all of the history of Am Yisrael. It just wasn't going to happen. Without this, the group will not persist long into the future. That is why after the appearance in its midst of a charismatic leader, the group must undergo what Weber called the routinization of charisma. This is the process whereby a certain form of authority is vested, not excuse me, in an individual as individual, but as an individual or group as bearers of an office. Thus charisma is handed down from generation to generation in an orderly and predictable way through laws of succession, together with rules regulating the behavior of the holders of the office. What does that sound like? The Kahuna Gedola, right? The prime example of the routinization of charisma is contained in Tetzaveh, in the process through which Moses invests priestly authority in Aaron and his sons. The Bede Kahuna, the priestly vestments, are its visible symbol. The Kohanim are, by virtue of birth and descent, not personal qualities, the carriers of sacred office. Their work is holy. Their domain is a tabernacle, the physical embodiment of a sacred space. They are charged with mediating between the people and God. Their clothes mark their office and role. Not accidentally, therefore, is Tetzavah the only partial between the beginning of Exodus and the end of Deuteronomy in which the name of Moshe does not appear. The most important fact about routinization, routinized charisma is that it exists when the charismatic leader is no longer there. What happens right after Parsha's Tetzavah, next week's Parsha? Parsha's Kitisa. Who goes away? Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu. And what happens to the people? They, they lose it. They lose it. They can't handle it. They don't have that leadership person there. His personality is gone and they lose it. When a, when a, when a, when a group is defined by its leader who's charismatic and, and draws them and motivates them and it's only about that, that's dangerous. Because then when he, goes, he or she goes away, then it's over. So instead, argues Rabbi Sachs, there was a need for the Kuhn Gadol, which we look as like, huh? Father to son, son to son. Like, like what does that even mean? There's a certain value. He, Rabbi Sachs talks a lot about... Well, let's just finish it. The golden calf was a response to the crisis posed by Moses' absence. Right? It illustrated the weakness of charismatic authority. The Israelites had to become the people who would continue to serve God after Moses had left them. That's what the tabernacle, the sacrifice, and the priesthood represent. Continuity. The ability to sustain long into the future the experience of Sinai and the presence in the midst of the people of God. He talks a lot about, Rabbi Sachs, the difference between the Kohen and the Navi. That the Kohen is like that structured, regimented, like the Shimona Esrei that you have to say the same way every single time. And the Navi is that more open, you know, uh, you know like the, Shmona, like the, like the, the piece of Shimona you add in yourself. Right? It's like the, the part that can kind of be, their own, be your own person within Judaism. And so his argument is that the purpose of the clothing right, is to get away from the all-star Rebbe, the all-star personality that, that makes everybody excited and bring you back to, 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 to actually giving koach to the masses to be able to kind of like have their own structured process. And that way there's, yeah, it's beautiful and it's special, but it's very, very, very routinized on purpose to create that ability for continuity, which is, seems like kind of like stale, but on the other hand is actually very necessary. 
and we're always kind of striking the balance. And that's how he talks much more about the coin and the Navi. Always, you, we always had a coin and a Navi because you need both. Um, and that's you have, like, you even have, you know, Moshe and Aaron and continually have that balance all the time because you need to have both for Yiddishkeit to continue to thrive. But if you rely only on Moshe Rabbeinu, you're going to be in trouble. It's very interesting. We're a race and a religion. What? We're a race and a religion. We need a right. coin and a Navi. Right, we need both. So this, like, kind of takes the whole thing. It's like, oh, I was like, I find a fat, also because I always was bothered by this, like, Parent to child type of passing down. It's like very, you know, it happens in Hasidic dynasty stuff, right? Um, and part of it is dangerous. Like, who said? Just because you're the child of the person, you should be the next, you should be the next going gadol. Like, what does that mean? But there's a certain, the point is that it's not really about them, right? It's not really, they, they sort of lose their identity as the Kohen Gadol. We think, oh, the Kohen Gadol is so special. That was the disaster in the second base of Mikdash. Everyone was bribing people to become the Kohen Gadol. What would happen? They would die. They would make it through. They would die, right? Because they made a mistake of thinking that the Kohen Gadol is about, is about me. It's actually not about you at all. It's a conduit. Right, you're ju- it's about the office. It's all about the office, which means something for the people and for the continuity of our people. That's the same. The day in and the day out service in the base of Mikdash and in the, in the Mishkan provides that continuity. We need that. We have to be careful not to get pulled into it so much that we lose ourselves and don't have that freshness. But you need both. And that's like the value of the Kuna Gedola has that and, and the representation of it is the very regimented root ninth clothing that is done specifically to the T and without it, Chayv Misa. Because it's that important. It's that important. So that was very, I never saw an approach like this. And you know, look, I think it, it, it speaks to a lot of these, 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 these pieces. But um, certainly, you know, it's not just a superficial, I, th- I, don't, I don't think it represents, superficial is a good thing. You know, it represents something much, you know, much, much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And I think Rabbi Sachs kind of takes us that direction. Also. Well, okay. Thank you. Thanks. Sorry, I went a few minutes over there. Yeah. 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 Yeah.